This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. and Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord. I'll now invite Pastor Andrew to explain this passage to us. Okay, good morning everyone. Great to see everybody here today, especially after the rains yesterday. It's much cooler. Let's all go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, we pray that you help us to learn how to pray better the contents of our prayer and our attitude in prayer, we pray that uh, truly uh, we will listen to the words of Jesus as he teaches us this morning. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, many years ago, there was this book which was like the bestseller of the time called The Prayer of Jabez. I'm not sure whether you all remember it. Some of you may be a bit too young to remember it. Uh, it came out about 2001, and it was like the biggest thing during that time, right? It was in the hearts, and the minds, the mouths, and the lips of churches, of Christians, of even pastors. Uh, there were seminars and talks. There were small groups about the prayer of Jabez. I even knew a pastor who was a Presbyterian who actually gave up being a pastor to go and work for the prayer of Jabez organization. So what was the prayer of Jabez about? Well, basically... It took this pretty obscure prayer in the book of First Chronicles and it, it used it as a template or a model of how people should pray. And basically, they were to focus on two things. And so this is Bruce Wilkinson. He was the author. And the focus was really on God blessing us and God enlarging our territory. And so Bruce uh, Wilkinson said that he had wrote this book basically because he wanted to teach people 
to pray a prayer that he said that God always answers, right? That God always answers. And in the book, he said that he wanted us to pray the words of the prayer of Jabez like a mantra, like a bit like a chant. as a set of words that you can repeat over and over, and then you will receive the answer you deeply desire. And in the book itself, if you, uh, I actually have a copy of the book from all these years, uh, if you pray for 31 days, then you will experience these blessings of enlarging, God enlarging your territory, as well as God blessing you. Uh, there are also some seminars which say that, you know, basically, instead of praying 30, 31 days, you pray 40 days and you add fasting on top of it and you definitely guaranteed get God to answer your prayers. And so today, as we look at chapter 11 of Luke, we seek to really ask two questions here. Uh, as we follow Jesus, how are we to pray, right? What are the contents of our prayer? Should we be praying like the prayer of Jabez? And what are the expectations of prayer? Should we be praying, right, our prayers with a certain expectation that God will answer them? And so, it begins today in chapter 11, verse 1. So one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Now, right at this very beginning, this address of God, Father, is something that as modern Christians, we may take for granted. We think it's no big deal, right? We zip on past that phrase, but in its original historical context, this was like huge, right? This was like earth-shaking. The reason is because the word Father, when we pray to God, Father, it's a word of intimacy. Intimacy, it's, it's, it's a word of closeness, a, a word of relationship in a family, right? Family bonding and family connection. And in Jesus' time, when the Jews used to pray to God, they never addressed God as Father. It would be unimaginable and unheard of that you address God as Father when you pray to Him. So in the Old Testament, these are all the lists of the names of the way that the Jews used to address God, right? And these words that they used to address God were words of a powerful God, an almighty God, a, a creator God, a covenant God, Yahweh, but never Father. So what has changed, right? What has changed with the coming of Jesus that we can now say to God, Father? Well, basically, in following Jesus, in Christ and through Christ, the reality is that we've now been, in a sense, adopted into the family of God, and we can call God Father. And so, right at the very beginning of Luke, we already know that Jesus, right from the very beginning, has a relationship, a family relationship with God, right? And so, if you remember back, back many, many weeks ago in Luke chapter 2, uh, he was missing, and he was in the temple courts talking to the teachers. And when his family, the father and mother, his earthly mother, father and mother, came to look for him, he said to them, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? And he didn't mean his earthly father, but his heavenly father, right? And so Jesus has a relationship with God the Father. So God the Son has a relationship with God the Father. But in Jesus and through Jesus, he now invites us as his followers to be part of that family. So we 
can address his father as well as father. And so two weeks ago in Luke chapter 10, Jesus said to his disciples, all things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows who the son is except the father. And no one knows who the father is except the son. And those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Now, that is why we are able to pray and to say, Father, right? Because Jesus, through Jesus and in Jesus, the Father, God the Father, is revealed to us. In Jesus and through Jesus, we know God as Father. We can enjoy this family relationship. Now, two applications are very, very key here, right? One is, if you think about it, what a great privilege it is that we can pray to God and have this father-child relationship. In no other religion do do they have this relationship with God, right? In, In other major world religions, they never refer to God as father. God is distant. God is unknowable. God is unapproachable. But in Christ and through Christ, we are truly able to approach God as Father. Now, I think we should just stop for a moment and consider how fortunate and lucky we are that we can actually regard and address God in this way, that we can see the reality of this family, intimate relationship that we have with this almighty, powerful God in Jesus Christ. The second application is Jesus teaches us, teaches his disciples, To say, when you pray, say, Father. Again, we have that privilege to be able to go straight to God the Father, to speak to Him directly. And so, I have these relatives uh, I've referred to before in, in, in Malaysia, and sometimes when I go visit them, they're often praying, right? But they don't pray to Father. They'll pray to Mary, or they'll pray to saints. And now I'll say, uh, why, why, why do you pray to Ma- Mary? And they'll say things to me like, oh, because, you know, Mary is Jesus' mother. And you know, sons always listen to their mothers. And I'm like, okay, but, but doesn't Jesus say that we can go straight to the Father? We don't have to go through all these intermediaries, right? It's not as if we're outside the family and we need to petition different people to speak to God. No, we are in the family, and we can speak to God directly as Father. So Jesus then goes on after the address to tell us how we're to pray, the content of prayer. The first is a declaration. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. It doesn't say that God's name is Harold or Howard or something, right? Hallowed is the idea of holy. So basically when Jesus tells us to pray, hallowed be your name. We're saying to God, you are holy, God. You are, you are sacred. You are sanctified. Right? Uh, one of the staff came out with this good suggestion and said, basically, hallowed be your name. It's just a way of saying, holify your name. Right? Holify your name. Now, this is kind of strange, right, making this declaration. Because to a certain degree, Why do we pray this way? Why do we tell God what He already is? God is already holy, right? Why do we need to pray that God will be holy or to holify or to hallow His name? There's never a danger that God is not holy, so why do we need to pray holy 
be your name or hallowed be your name or holify your name. Well, I think part of it is, is really to declare that as we praise God and declare God's character as holy God, hallowed be your name. In a sense, we are desiring as, his, as the followers of Jesus that, oops, no, okay, not so fast, okay, that we too will want to share in the holiness of God. We will want to be reflecting the holiness of God. We would like to, in ourselves, in our churches, in our communities, to share the family likeness of holiness. Now, I remember uh, this guy, Ravi Zacharias. I'm not sure whether you've heard of him, but uh, he's had a big impact on many Christians' lives. I've listened to his talks and I've, you know, I watched him on YouTube many times. He's been an influence on my children's lives. I recommended many of his talks to my own kids when they have Christians. And so I was very sad and disappointed when after he died, there were all these revelations which came out about how he had led a double life for many, many years, right? Um, there were very gross and very sordid uh, revelations about the double life that he led. And I remember saying to my wife, um, when all this stuff was coming out, I said to my wife, I said, I wonder if Ravi prays the Lord's Prayer. I wonder if Ravi prays the Lord's Prayer. Because I think that you cannot pray the Lord's Prayer or the prayer that the Lord taught his disciples, hallowed be your name, holify your name, your name be holy, right? And not desire to want to share God's holiness in your own life and not want to want to reflect God's holiness in your own life. And I wonder if Ravi, if he would pray that prayer, right? Hallowed be your name regularly. Whether in his life he could have led this double life for so many years. So the first thing that we were taught to pray by our Lord Jesus, hallowed be your name, speaks of the character of God. The second declaration is your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Now here is where we see that we declare and praise the whole kingdom of God and the whole rule of God to come everywhere to every person in every time. When we pray your kingdom come, I think what we're really saying is we want God's kingdom, God's rule to be active, to be active in our personal life, right? So personally, we want God's rule and kingdom to be more and more real in our own lives. But more than that, I think when we pray your kingdom come, we are also praying that God's kingdom is more and more real in the world, in the nations, in the peoples, in the governments of this world, that they would bow the knee to God's kingdom. But also, I think most particularly as we look in the book of Luke, we're really asking for the return of Jesus. We're asking for the return of Jesus. Because in Luke chapter 9, Jesus had already said, right, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory and the glory of the Father 
and of the holy angels. And so when we say, Dear Father, your kingdom come, we're really asking for God's kingdom to be fully realized in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now when we pray this prayer, your kingdom come, it, it actually shows in many ways as well that we desire for God's kingdom to be fully realized. And in praying this prayer, it also creates in us a desire and urgency to make preparation right, for the coming of Jesus' kingdom. You see, you cannot pray this prayer, your kingdom come, and live an unprepared life. Like, you, you know, you'll be asking yourself, okay, who do I, if, I, if I'm praying for Jesus to come and his kingdom to be fully realized, who do I need to, to share Jesus Christ with? Right? What, what, what sins do I need to take seriously in my own life? Or what do I need to deal with as I pray this prayer, your kingdom comes? Now, as we look at the first part of these uh, prayers, right, the first two parts of this prayer are really all about God focus. They're all God focus. Hallowed be your name is focused on the character of God. Your kingdom come is focused on the authority of God. And it shows you, and it shows me as well, that our prayers, first and foremost, in terms of content, cannot be self centered or self focused, right? They are God centered and God focused. And in praying this way, it really shows that God is at the center of our prayers, not ourselves, our earthly concerns. Now, the passage then goes on. And Jesus says to them, after the first two declarations, give us each day our daily bread. There's a repeated emphasis here on the word daily or each day. And it really is trying to bring home to us that as we pray this prayer every day, there is this daily provision. I'm trusting in a God who provides for me daily. I'm daily dependent on God. And as I pray this prayer, it's the very opposite of being self-sufficient, self-independent, and self-reliant. And it's very important to pray this prayer because I think praying this prayer Make sure that we have the right perspective as we stand before God. Uh, we are humble before God. We are not proud before God. So no matter how rich I am, how capable I am, what job I hold, and what, how much I might have in my CPF, I still see that God is the one who provides me my daily bread every day. I humbly rely on God. Now, I think this is actually an antidote to the attitude that Jesus speaks about in Luke chapter 6. So what does Jesus say in Luke chapter 6? He says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Now I think what Jesus is really saying here is that praying this prayer actually prevents us from experiencing the woe, right, of, of the rich man, the proud man, or the proud woman who is self-sufficient and self-reliant and self-trusting. Many years ago, uh, I remember I was asked to give thanks at a big dinner. I think it was probably a wedding dinner somewhere. And so I got up in front of this uh, big auditorium and I gave thanks. 
for the food, and I sat down at the table, and I think, I think the father of the, the bride or the bridegroom was at the table and, and made this joke. and said, you know, why do we have to thank God for the food? After all, it's my money that's paying for this dinner, right? Now, I'm not sure whether the person was being, being very serious, but as followers and disciples of Jesus, we cannot have this attitude, right, that actually at the end of the day, it's my money is paying for this food. Though. We recognize that it is God, right, God who gives us our daily bread. So I was reading this book recently called Ego is the Enemy. Yeah, I'd like to recommend this book to you. It's quite an interesting book. Ego is the Enemy. And really, uh, praying this prayer, right, give us each day our daily bread, is, 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 is putting us in our place, right? That actually ego is the enemy. That it is not me, self-sufficient, self-reliant, independent, but it is God who is the creator. God is the one who is the provider. Now the passage then goes on after the first two declarations and the first request to say, forgive us our sins for we also Forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Now, some people actually link verse 4 back to verse 3. Uh, they say that forgive us our sins is actually a daily forgiveness of sins, a, require, a, a, a going to God daily and asking for daily forgiveness. As every day we see God giving us our daily provision, so every day we go to God asking for daily forgiveness. And what this shows us is that even after we become Christians, even after we're saved in Christ, we still need forgiveness on a regular basis. Uh, there is no place for some people who say that, oh, you know, once you become a Christian, uh, well, you're forgiven and you don't have to confess your sins or repent of sins or ask for forgiveness anymore. Now, the difficulty that we see here is that this idea of Asking for forgiveness seems to be tied with this idea of the basis, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Now these are hard, hard words that Jesus says, right? Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Now it's easy to ask for forgiveness, but it can be hard to forgive everyone who sins against us. Especially if uh, you felt that someone has wronged you terribly or you've been a victim of something that's been very seriously done against you. It's very hard. It may feel even impossible for you to forgive people that have sinned against you. But I think that as we look at this passage, it seems very clear that the forgiven person is also the forgiving person. To pray for forgiveness is also to give forgiveness. To ask for forgiveness is to offer forgiveness. And so as we pray this prayer, we need to also have that desire to forgive. Now, as we pray this prayer, it's very much tied back, right? Oops, sorry, tied to uh, what it says earlier on, okay? Sorry, let me go back again. Went too fast. Where, when we pray in the first declaration, hallowed be your name, we are saying that God is perfectly holy. And so, if God is perfectly holy, we need to ask God to forgive us our sins because day by day, we also recognize that we grieve God, that we, that we sadden God in so many ways and hurt God 
because we fail to live up to the first declaration, hallowed be your name. Our inability to live holy lives requires us to be forgiven day after day after day. And so in the same way as God is willing to forgive us our sins, so in the same way as we ask for forgiveness, we too correspondingly need to forgive other people. Now, the passage then goes on uh, to say, and lead us not into temptation. Now, this shows us that even as we ask for forgiveness, we also need for spiritual resources, spiritual protection, so that we do not succumb to temptation or fall into the power of sin or be seduced into sin. Now, I've actually met some people who, it's very interesting, they'll actually ask for forgiveness before they do the bad things that they do. Right? That's really interesting, right? Can you imagine, like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to sin, so ask for forgiveness today. Now, that's not what uh, this prayer is teaching us, right? The prayer teaches us we ask for forgiveness each, you know, regularly for the things that we've done, but we don't ask for forgiveness for the things that we know we're going to sin tomorrow, but rather we ask God to give us protection, to give us spiritual resources so that we will not sin. So the first part of the prayer was all about a declaration of God, right? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. But the passage then goes on to make several requests, right? And they're all about sin, really. Uh, sorry, give us each day our daily bread, yes, but also the next part about sin. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Now, if the first part of the prayer is all about the content of what we're praying about. Then the second part of the passage that we're looking at is about expectation. Expectation. What should we expect as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us? Well, the passage begins with a parable, right? It speaks of a visitor, a friend, who travels to a man's house late at night. Now, Middle Eastern culture required that, that you needed to show hospitality, to provide food and lodging and bed for visitors. And in those days, there was no 7-Eleven, there was no fridge, there was no supermarket, so the guy had no food left in his house to show what was required of him, to show hospitality to this visitor. So what does he do? It's about midnight already. But he goes to his friend's house, his neighbor's house, to ask for three loaves of bread. What does his neighbor say? His neighbor says, don't bother me, right? The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. The word here, don't bother me, is literally, don't be a bother, right? It's a very I guess, British expression, don't be a bother, don't irritate me, don't bug me, right? And he gives the reason, it's really late, right? We know it's midnight, the door is locked. Now in those days, they didn't have like our fancy lock today where you know, you have your fingerprint code and then you just press your finger and then the door opens and you can open it. The door was probably barred with a wooden 
know, a wooden uh, bar across the door. It was very noisy to lift up the bar. His children were in bed with him. Now, in the ancient world, they didn't have like three room, four room, five room flats. They just had one room hut, right? And so everybody was sleeping on the floor. So in order for him to go and get his bread, he'd probably have to stand up, walk past everybody, step around them, unbar his door, go and find the bread, and everybody will wake up. It's a big bother to him, a major inconvenience. But what happens? Well, the, the neighbor or the man, he shows boldness, or in the NIV translation, shameless audacity, right? He keeps knocking on the door. And so because he keeps knocking on the door, his friend will give him what he needs because of his boldness or shameless audacity. And so Jesus here then applies this to uh, God. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. And so what's happening here? It's actually saying that God is a generous God, right? And it's contrasting using the argument from lesser to greater, from lesser to greater. So what happens? Well, using the argument from lesser to greater, we have this man who, whose attitude is, don't bug me, right? Don't bother me. Don't be a bother. But because of the neighbor's boldness or shameless audacity, he gets his three loaves of bread. Using the argument from lesser to greater, God is a generous God, right? You knock, doors open, you ask, you receive, you seek, you find. And what God is saying is, look, with the same attitude of boldness and shameless audacity, we should go to God. Because God wants to give. God wants you to ask. God wants you to be shameless and boldness and approaching Him because He wants to give you. He is not irritated when you come to Him. Now, I remember a friend of mine whose father had this really, really nice, classic, old Mercedes-Benz. You know those really old, classic Mercedes-Benz that you see driving on the road, right? And uh, his, my friend's father was really proud of it. My friend wanted to borrow it to go to a party. And I was thinking, no way, man, your dad would let you borrow his classic Mercedes car. I mean, it was really bold of my friend to ask, but surprisingly... His father actually lent it to him. Why? Because I guess my friend was his child, right? So in the same way, the principle here is God wants us to pray with this same attitude of boldness or shameless audacity. God wants us to go to him with shameless audacity because God is only willing, right, happy to want to give us these things. Now, the parable then moves from the parable of friendship to the parable of fathers, okay? And so in verse 11 says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so here, we are given a rhetorical question. Which of you, okay, so he's speaking to disciples, which of you guys, you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Obviously, the answer is none of you, right? The, the question expects 
The answer, none. Okay? So human fathers will give good gifts, right? You give fish, you give eggs. Jesus then says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And again, Jesus is using the argument from lesser to greater, right? If you earthly fathers, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts like fish and eggs, right? then how much more the heavenly Father, okay, the heavenly Father who is in heaven and who is altogether holy and good, obviously, he will give even greater gifts than the earthly fathers. And so what does the heavenly father promise? He says, I will give you the Holy Spirit. Now, as we think about what Jesus has just said, the Holy Spirit is actually the greatest gift that God the Father can give, right? If you think of the lesser to greater argument, the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift that God the Father can give. And the reason is because the Holy Spirit is God in Himself. God is actually giving part of Himself to His disciples, to Jesus' disciples. God is giving one part of the Trinity to the followers of Jesus. Now, we kind of like uh, don't give the Holy Spirit much dueler. We you know Holy Spirit, only Holy Spirit, right? But the Holy Spirit is is, is like the key uh, to being able to receive all the promises that God gives us. Many years ago, I went to um, a prosperity gospel church. And I was sitting in the crowd, I remember it was very loud, and uh, the pastor came up and he said, I feel the Holy Spirit among us, you know, the Holy Spirit is here among us. And the Holy Spirit is saying to me that He wants to give you a new house and a new car, right? Stand up in your chair to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit so that you can receive this new house and the new car. Now, the job of the Holy Spirit is really not to be a car salesman or a real estate agent, but really, the job of the Holy Spirit is to give us all the things that God has asked us to pray for in the Lord's Prayer, right? To be able to declare, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. To have daily dependence upon God. To help us deal with our sins. To give us forgiveness and not lead us into temptation. I remember reading this uh, J.I. Packer book uh, recently that I kept uh, recommending to you, Knowing God. And it actually asked the question about whether we really honor the Holy Spirit by recognizing and relying on His work. Or do we slight Him by ignoring it and thereby dishonor and not merely the Holy Spirit, but the Lord Himself who sent Him. And then it just keeps going through. Do we dishonor the Holy Spirit by doing this? Do we dishonor the Holy Spirit by doing that? And so, you know, what we actually don't realize is without the Holy Spirit, there is no faith. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no conviction of sin. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no repentance. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no holy living. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no understanding of God's Word. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no church. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no salvation. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no heaven. And so what God is really telling us to do is to pray with boldness, with shameless audacity. Because God is a good God, a generous God, and He will give you the greatest gift of all, the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, you'll get all the things that, that are really important to Him. 
that you will get a relationship with God. You'll be able to pray, hallowed be your name. You'll be able to pray to God, Father. You'll be able to ask for Jesus' return and to deal with the problem of sin. So we began today in the passage by looking at the prayer of Jabez. The content of the prayer of Jabez is really centered around blessings and enlarging territory. The expectation to the prayer of Jabez is that you will receive blessings and enlarging of your territory because you pray for 31 days in a row. The Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus teaches, is altogether very different, right? If you look at the prayer of Jabez, it's all about me, 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 right? My kingdom, my territory, my blessings. If you look at the prayer that Jesus teaches, the Lord's Prayer, it's all about the things that matter to God. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, my daily dependence upon, and, uh, upon you, about my sins, forgiveness, forgiving others, being not led into temptation. The expectation is God will answer. Why? Not because we pray for 31 days in a row, but because God is a good and gracious heavenly God. And He promises to give us the Holy Spirit. And all these prayers, all these concerns are really God's concerns. The, the things that matter to God. So as we come to the end of the passage today, I think I'd really like to challenge all of us that as we reflect on what Jesus has taught us today, that we will see that what really matters to God are these kingdom priorities, and our prayer should be shaped by them. And our expectations is we will receive all these things because God is a God who is waiting for us to pray and who wants to give us all these things through the Holy Spirit. So let us pray with boldness. Let us pray with shameless audacity because we are praying to God our Father, not someone who is distant or unknowable, but God our Father and as His children, He seeks to want to answer those prayers. Let's go to God and pray. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really want to pray that you will continue to help us to learn from the book of Luke. And today we've learned that as we are in Christ, as we go to you through your Son, we can call you Father because that is who you are to us. You are truly our Father because we are truly your children through Jesus Christ. Dear Father, help us truly to to be kingdom-minded, to pray about your character, your holiness, hallowed be your name. To pray for your authority that your kingdom may come. And dear Father, that we may be dependent on you as as people who are receiving your daily provision day by day. Help us not to be haughty or proud or independent or self-reliant, but to be humble before you. And dear Father, help us as we come to you with our sins, that we may be forgiven our sins as we, at the same time, forgive others. To recognize that to ask for forgiveness is to give forgiveness. And dear Father, we pray also that you will not lead us into temptation. And we come to you with confidence and with boldness because we know that you will answer those prayers because you are a God who is heavenly and good and gracious and generous. And you are a God who promises us the Holy Spirit. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, thank you, Pastor Andrew. So 
we will now have some time to be thinking a bit more about the passage and the sermon. Don't worry, we won't be chanting any prayers, but we will be uh, having time to discuss a question. And today's question leads us to think about how do we pray and what lessons on prayer can we apply in our lives today. So we will be taking about five minutes to have some discussion. For those of you who are on Zoom, don't worry, the Zoom host will send you to breakout rooms uh, for you to have deeper discussions with others as well. So uh, yes, we can take the next five minutes to be talking about this in our groups. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.com.